Is there anything you would have done differently? We reported a true story. Our colleague Brian Williams is back in Kuwait City tonight after a close call on the skies over Iraq. Controversial Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh and questions about Kavanaugh's drinking in the past. Sean Hannity, come on up, Sean Hannity. Today, Andrew Cuomo is having a moment. Hi, I'm Chris Steyerwalt. And I'm Eliana Johnson. Welcome to the Ink Stained Wretches, where we break down what's going wrong and what's going right with the American news media. Ladies and gentlemen of the Rech- of the El Rechos community, I can tell you that Eliana Johnson is just back from a trip to the Midwest, to the heartland of America. And it is good, of course, she goes back to her native. Where else could be better to celebrate Independence Day than in Minnesota, the heartland of the heartland? And, of course, the first question is going to be, as you can guess, what was the best thing you ate? Well, I left my house maybe twice in five days, my parents' house. The best thing I ate was anything my mom made. She's a very good What's your favorite? Like, when you go home, when you go home to visit, what does your mom know? uh, Scones. Scones? I'm telling you, I know we have talked about scones and how much they suck on this podcast. My mom makes the most delicious scone. But it's got to be more like a biscuit. It's got to be more like a drop biscuit. Yes. Has it to be is, tender. It is so delicious. And Patrick, your husband, is a, is, is a part of the pro scone community. So, but, but are you ever are, concerned that he was just using you to get to your scone. mother's scones? This is the one good scone I've ever had. <laughs> so incredibly delicious. Okay, so the best thing you ate was a scone. The scones. What was the best thing you saw? I fireworks? Did you see any fireworks? No. Well, you could say your he loved leave ones. my house. Nothing. Yes, my family. Okay. My family. And how does the baby travel? She's awesome. She's, she's a freaking angel. She's easy? Yes. You know all the tricks? Ba- she bears no relation to her mother. Oh, bitch She's posh. so easy. Did you travel? I spent 4th of July out in the country and- What does the country mean? Well, out at, out at Jessica's place. And it was so fun and we blew up. So Virginia has- Terrible fireworks laws. Now, when I was a kid, West Virginia had terrible fireworks laws. Now, West Virginia has- What does terrible mean? Like, you can't blow things up? So, what Virginia, basically, everything has to be like a sparkler. Nothing can shoot into the sky. You can't have the serious ordinance. And so, you- It is- And the the prices are preposterous. But anyway, we did the best we could under the burden of Virginia laws, and friends came over, and we shot off a bunch of fireworks and delighted the children with that. And I made, let me tell you something, I made some steaks. I made some- What cut? So the original plan was for Porterhouse. There was a- What's the best cut? Well, it depends on what you want to do. The ribeye is the king of steaks, as everyone knows. The ribeye is the fattiest- most Colin flavorful. Looks like he agrees. It's the balance. Ribeye is the. Sir Colin. It, it is tender, but still has good beefy flavor. If you can picture like the standing rib roast, it's the standing rib roast cut into steaks. And I like a standing rib roast because it's got the fat. It's got the fatty cap where it's a little more beefy fatty, and then it's got that lean, nice eye in the center. So it's the king of steaks. Now the porterhouse, if you want to get into it is if you get them cut very thick, and here I mean two inches or so, the porterhouse can really 
amazed because you got the filet and the strip. It's going to be leaner. It's going to be more demanding, but can really deliver excellence. And the other thing, of course, that's great to do is to get a filet from Costco or wherever, a big whole tenderloin, trim it down, keep the trimmings to do beef tips or whatever for a dinner, but then tie it tight, cover it with, I make a compound butter like a a rosemary garlic butter or whatever, and, and slather it down and let it sit and then just grill that. Could you just come to my house and just do this? I will. You know I would. I would I would cook for you guys anytime. That Please. would be a delight. But I no. would just and I could just sit and drink a martini. Patrick and I would love I would he would help. Patrick we probably will not help. He will that not help. Is not his style. Oh, that's right. We talked about that is this. Not his style. He doesn't cook. I just can't believe it because he seems creative. He seems artistic. He seems precise. He needs to start making his own scones. He needs to get in the. He needs to get your mom's recipe and get in the scone game. He claims to want to make challah. That's what he's really interested in, but I don't see it. He needs tutoring. Tutoring in the challah, challah, yeah. and that's when you say challah back. <laughs> that was the worst joke. Colin's laughing. Why are you laughing? Dad, dad, and he's joke. got the dad energy is pouring such out of him now. His, his 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 dad soul is such pouring a out of him. Stupid joke. Okay, we have a stacked front page. Chris, in this case, on our front page, we had every newspaper writing the same story. Yes, definitely uh, It is summer. so amazing to me how the press travels in a pack and they have decided that Biden is not the president that our times demand. So we had a story from... CNN, I just want to read the the various headlines, but we got them basically from every outlet. CNN, Democrats wonder whether Biden White House is capable of urgency moment demands. And it did strike me, like reading this story by Edward Isaac Dover, that it read a little bit like a Trump White House story would read. Yeah, well, like like every White House, this is a predictable, this is the predictable rhythm. But- There was one paragraph in here. Several officials say Biden's tendency to berate advisors when he's displeased with how a situation is being handled or when events go off poorly has trickled down the ranks in the West Wing, leaving several mid-level aides feeling blamed for failings despite lacking any real ability to influence a building's decision-making. Like, so Trump, you know? That's contributed to some of the recent staff departures, according to people familiar. Democrats worry the lack of decisions and authority are deepening their own midterm problems and and feeding a sense that the president couldn't truly handle the extra complications of a run for re-election in 24. Got to go bye-bye. And along the way, reinforcing narratives that he's an old man not fit for the moment. All right, give, give us, go through yes, those other headlines. Unless you believe that CNN is alone in offering this coverage, we have the New York Times. Michael Shear with a headline, Biden promised to stay above the fray, but Democrats want a fighter. President Biden's measured approach at a time of political tumult has left him struggling to inspire his supporters and allies to action. We have the Washington Post. As some Democrats grow impatient with Biden, alternatives are waiting in the wings. As some Democrats grow impatient with Biden, alternative voices emerge is the is the updated, the new headline for that piece. And I, the first thing I will say is 
Who are the alternative voices? Well, I, I will say that in a second, but the first thing I want to say is anonymously sourced palace intrigue stories from the White House are terrible always, right? It's always, it's just. That's all I wrote for three years covering the Trump White House. It's always. That very personally. Be, because who is, who is going to talk to the reporter? The mid-level staffer who the CNN piece is like, mid-level staffers say they're not. Well, when are mid-level staffers happy? Tell me about that. And also, if you grant people anonymity to complain about things that they wouldn't normally complain about, you're like, you're getting a self-selecting group of discontents and whatever. I'm sure the Biden administration's in disarray. The Biden administration is in evident disarray, right? You can look at the, the uh, race ipsiloquitur, but this kind of like pot boiling, blah, 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 blah. So stop, you know, uh, the, the, promiscu- the promiscuous use of anonymous sourcing has not, has not worked out great for us. But this Washington Post piece, I got to say, let me just let me give you a taste. President Biden took the stage at an Independence Day barbecue just a few hours after the latest horrific shooting to upend an American city. But at his first opportunity to address the nation in person about the Highland Park killings, he did so only obliquely. Quote, you all heard what happened today. Biden said, quote, things will get better still, but not without more hard work together. It was not until two hours later, after singing, after singer Ab Andy Grammer finished an acoustic version of Give Love. Thank God I missed that. That I'm that sounds painful from just here, just reading about that hurts. That the president returned to the stage and attempted to respond to the tragedy more fully, calling for a moment of silence and decrying the spate of mass shootings, goes on. And then here's I love this. In contrast, J.B. Pritzker. <laughs> In contrast, J.B. Pritzker, Illinois' Democratic governor, delivered a fiery response that took direct aim at those blocking gun control legislation. Blah, 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 blah. He says that he's angry, da, 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 da. And then to conclude, the story goes on from here, but here's the last I'll offer. In the view of many distraught Democrats, the country is facing a full-blown crisis on a range of fronts, and Biden seems unable or unwilling to respond with appropriate force. Democracy is under direct attack, they say. As Republicans change election, blah, 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 blah. So why isn't Joe Biden angrier about things? And why isn't Joe Biden yelling more? Shouldn't Joe Biden be yelling like J.B. Pritzker? Shouldn't he be out screaming at people? And why, when Joe Biden was talking to a group of Democrats at the White House who already agree with him, why wasn't he engaging in ridiculous performative antics and outrage like a trained monkey so that people would know that he was really upset? What total... Crapola, this kind of writing is. It's just my hatred for this kind of stuff knows no bounds. I just find it so interesting that I think since since the White House's botched pullout from Afghanistan, yes. it's been obvious that this administration is not up to the tasks it, it is trying to address, whether it's in foreign policy or the economy, inflation. We've had... The formula shortage of which, you know, my family has struggled with. And but all of a sudden we get like these stories that are basically the media telling Biden, like, we don't think you should run in 2024 and presenting alternatives. And I thought it was so funny, like Politico basically just does a story. Newsom versus DeSantis 2024. Their headline is shadow 2024 race. Newsom versus DeSantis, and this is all because 
Gavin Newsom is running an ad in Florida inviting people to move to California where they can get abortions. Right. Anyhow, it just, there's such a pack mentality because all of these people talk to each other and are friends with each other and like very little originality I saw in, the, in the reporting. But bad news for Biden. And the other thing I found so interesting about this coverage, Chris, is basically that in the alternative voices, they are not Kamala Harris and Mayor Pete, which I think... I think I think the 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 they're the, they're bringing up other names the the long the long painful march to the now the good news for Kamala Harris I will say this is that after suffering from elevated expectations she will now be the benefit of the lowest possible expectations that's a really good she one. is she like Mike Pence is a benefit. The strange new respect for Mike Pence because of his behavior around January 6th and all that stuff. But in with Kamala Harris, she was so bad at running for president and now is so bad at being vice president that people have written off the Kamala Harris thing, which will now create, by the way, speaking of follow the pack stories that the media loves, the comeback kid. Everybody loves the comeback kid story. Oh, Kamala Harris getting a second look. And you're like, from who? Oh, from you. You're giving you, a reporter, are giving her a second look, but you're doing this like this stuff as people are saying. That only Donald Trump is fonder of the people are saying construct for talking about whatever you want to talk about. But I think that... The, I do like, I do love when Trump says people, people are saying. People are saying, you know, my favorite, I've, I'm sure I've quoted it here, but the greatest of all time, people are saying that Miami's airport is, is, the big, is one of the biggest in the world, maybe the biggest. No, sir. No one is saying that. No one has ever said that. And in fact, it's like the 15th largest airport in the United States. But anyway, the idea of, I think Gavin Newsom is a credible threat in for 2024. I would say why he is the telegenic governor of the largest state and the largest democratic state. That puts him in a very good position. And California now has an early primary he is very popular among California Democrats. I can see uh, the pathway. He was recalled. And crushed it. He did with, like, a not strong opponent. But, I mean, do you think that, like, he's tackling the kind of, like, middle 80% issues of, like, five-star Michelin restaurants? I, and, I, and like, But those are uh, Republican arguments. I'm talking about whether or not he's a credible threat to win the Democratic nomination. And I think he is. I think he, he is funded his hair i mean my gosh the hair alone right that's that it john edwards would look at that hair and say like you got me bro so i don't know about him as a general election candidate i don't know what the new i i, I don't i i would have i think desantis versus newsom as a presidential election would be very interesting but desantis would like break his bones I really think our our colleague Eli Lake, who I did the commentary podcast with yesterday, Very nice. was joking around that Newsom would be like, "Do you like doing fentanyl on an open street corner in a park? Do you like chaos and disorder? Come to California. That that could be his platform. I, you know, I I, th- I think. Do you do you like shoplifting? Because <laughs> you can come to California and do it." As much as you want. I can definitely see all of those attacks, and then I can also see the attacks that would be made against DeSantis, and I can see 
I can see how that would be quite a race. I think it would be. A, I think it would be quite a, a good. Con- I'll tell you what. Probably be a good contest for America, right? You'd have two very different points of view about governance coming from the states, not a blah blah blah. So it could be a, whatever. But Newsom is a credible threat for the 2024 Democratic nomination for sure. J.B. Pritzker, who is being mentioned in these stories, is a joke. That is a ridiculous joke. That that J.B. Pritzker who is, looks like an unmade bed, who is, like, Chicago is just reeling, right? Like, Chicago is, whatever whatever else California, California is proof that good weather is really important, right? California remains California. Chicago, unfortunately for J.B. Pritzker, remains Chicago. And it's, J.B. Pritzker is not a, a viable candidate for president, but because Democrats think that there that one of the problems with the bias and we've talked many times before about why the bias but one of the problems with having the bubble that the national political press operates in and it's mostly cuz they're from the same places they went to the same schools they know it's like they're one it, it, the the monoculture of the national political press creates a lot of blind spots and they believe that gun control is a huge issue for midterms and they think gun control they think Roe v Wade is going to be the the that the Dobbs decision is going to be what 2024 may be all about that's not where persuadable voters operate that's not where the governing third of America operates and it's hard for them to see that so they overstate this issue set but the idea Well the other thing I found amazing about the post story that mentions JB Pritzker as an alternative voice is that it does not mention the 3 and in- Major corporate departures yep. from the state of Illinois. Citadel, the hedge fund, is leaving John Illinois Deere. for Miami. Caterpillar is out to Texas. And Boeing, Boeing. Uh, left Illinois for a Northern Virginia headquarters. And that is devastating for Pritzker ahead of he's running for re-election in November. And those are issues people actually care about and actually vote on. And... They just don't mention. They just don't mention that. And actually, the journal had a piece that was not about Pritzker, but it was about basically red states doing better economically post-COVID yeah. than blue states. And it did mention these things because they impact like the day-to-day, you know, pe- pe- the, the, the way people are faring economically day-to-day and the performance of state economies and talked about base and and by the way like citadel in leaving cites the rising crime in chicago the one of the reasons that the republicans look to be in such good shape for governor's races in the coming year i i think pritzker should be safe i don't think the i don't i think they it looks like they republicans failed the test in their primary but one of the reasons that republicans are in such good shape to pick off you know they could make Colorado competitive. They could they could fight in a lot of blue states. Is that you did basically a a real time experiment, which is red states had less restrict. Like why is Arizona booming, 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 and Nevada is struggling, struggling. You know what's the di- and the difference coming out of COVID was who was willing to get out of these lockdowns sooner. So voters have a real time. They there's a real comparison. All right. So here's a, a category of political journalism that is a favorite of mine. So here is Perry Bacon Jr., 
I don't know who, uh, who Perry Bacon's dad is, but uh, he carries the junior with him in his byline just to disambiguate, lest we think that his father wrote this. But per- longtime columnist at the Washington Post, Perry Bacon, who used to be. He was 538. But, and wasn't he a reporter? NBC. Okay. Anyway, so here's the headline. Maybe the Democrats aren't doomed in November. And so here's a category of, of terrible political journalism, which is you want to go again. And so the great Josh Crossar, who I think, did he, did I see that he changed jobs? I don't know. He's at, heading to Axios. Axios. I hope, Josh, congratulations on the new job. I hope they don't make you use the dumb bullet point thing, but you're, you're too good a writer for that. I believe they are going to make him use the bullet points. Be smart. Don't use bullet points. So anyway, but congratulations, Josh. You're one of the best in the business. And his column was called Against the Grain. And it's good to be against the grain. And like counterpart, like everybody, Pee Wee Reese, the great, the Hall of Fame Boston Red Sox, had the great quote, hit them where they ain't, right? So there's a lot to be said in political coverage about if the pack, and we just talked about what a pack animals they are, right? They all run over to cover the same story. And let's talk about J.B. Pritzker. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People don't like Biden. Okay, let's all write the same story. So that's a good time to, to write something else. But then there's this, which is wishful, wish casting, wishful thinking. And where it's like things have been so bad for the Democrats. We've all finally agreed that things are so bad for the Democrats because of the economic conditions of the country and because of people's concerns about inflation and the fact that gas costs a bajillion dollars. And then it's like, but hear me out on this, guys. So I want to read you this quote from Perry Bacon Jr., this this paragraph. I don't want to overstate Democrats' chances. And I, of course, in my brain said, too late. They are facing a tough history. Uh, the party in control of the presidency and uh, almost always loses ground, particularly in the House. Yeah, an average Perry Bacon Jr. of 28 seats in midterms, uh, in the president's first midterm since Ronald Reagan. They're also facing an angry electorate that may just want to toss out any Democrat they can because of high inflation and and the general sense that the party is ineffective. It's not clear whether the party's most important voice, Biden, can shift from his comfort zones, talking about the economy and emphasizing bipartisanship. Yeah, that's really been the hallmark of Joe Biden lately is talking about bipartisanship when he's not comparing them to Bull Connor and Jefferson Davis to potentially more fertile terrain. Dig it, dig it. Casting the Republicans as radical, particularly on such issues as abortion and gun control. Finally, polls in both 2016 and 2020 overstated the Democrats' standing, so the surveys we have this year could be similarly flawed. Now, listen, he goes through and lists, and by the way, Democrat, hey, media, if you think you're helping Democrats by talking about Stacey Abrams all the time, stop doing it. If that's your, if your goal is to help Democrats by hyping Stacey Abrams, she is terrible. She is a terrible candidate. She has terrible political instincts. She is, her effort to try to half steal the Georgia governorship in 2018, refusing to concede despite having lost by, I forget what, 40,000 votes or something. She's a mess. Who do you like better, Stacey Abrams or J.B. Pritzker? For what? I, I, you know, they, I, I'll put it this way. There's, there's the Democrats' dream team, 2024, Pritzker Abrams. That, that's going to be great, and they can run against Donald Trump Jr. And what would be who would be, who would be the other one that you put on there for? Who's who's the who's the Republican Stacey Abrams? I don't know, but woof. 
And this, I forget who coined the phrase about Barack Obama, uh, used the phrase hopium for <laughs> Democrats would be like, well, maybe it's all going to, maybe we'll win in midterms. Maybe everything's going to be okay. This fanciful goofball thinking that writers and and television pundits put forward for the party that's losing doesn't help. It doesn't help to say it didn't help Donald Trump in 2020 when Republican pundits and Fox News opinion hosts were like, I don't know, look pretty good. They said he was going to lose before and he didn't lose. So he's going to win again this time. That didn't help Republicans make good choices. This kind of wish casting will not help Democrats make good choices. If they think the strategy, and Perry Bacon Jr. does, if they think the strategy is to fight more on the culture wars with Republicans, this is a mistake, right? Now, the good news for Democrats is Republicans are probably going to be substantially taking their eye off the ball. And the Republicans, and I think I saw one, was it South Carolina that has one where they can, they're going to track any abortion, any information leading to abortions, that they're gonna they're gonna ban this on media, and that you can't post about how to get an abortion or whatever. So, like, there's gonna be excesses on either side of this that will be distracting, and to a certain degree, that's helpful for Democrats because it takes it moves the issue set away from the economy. But cheap tea, people, come on. Next one is like right down middle of my right down right it's down sweet middle spot. of home plate for me. David Zaslav. Who's that? He is, a.k.a. Zass. Uh, As you know him. <laughs> yes. The Discovery CEO, which is Warner Brothers Discovery CEO, the parent company of CNN. So he is at this gathering of poobahs in Sun Valley, Idaho. Oh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. So CNN ratings are totally in the dumpster. And so he's asked about that. And... So I just want to read from this variety piece. So it says, on Tuesday, Zaslav responded to a question about recent rating trends at CNN, which has been covering the January 6th hearings over the last month, along with the rest of the news world. I think Chris, and that's the other Chris. Chris Licht. Yep. Is doing a great job pivoting CNN, Zaslav said. And the pivot is away from like their uber left-wing partisan journalism to straight news or an attempt at straight news. And he continues, journalism first. America needs a news network where everybody can come and be heard, Republicans, Democrats. I think you're seeing more of that at CNN. I think it's the greatest news brand in the world with the greatest journalists. And we're going to lean into that. We're not going to look at the ratings. And in the long run, it's going to be worth more. I found that to be big if true. Big if true. They are not going to look at the ratings as they pivot away from sensationalist left-wing journalism, which thus far it has cost them. Like they are losing ratings from dropping breaking news, focusing on uh, like away from hysterical coverage of like every single thing Trump does. And meanwhile, the New York Post had... It was actually a story about this. Oh, no, sorry. It was Mediaite. Headline, CNN employees are reportedly, quote, freaking out over bad ratings. Uh, a CNN insider complained employees are freaking out by, by tanking ratings. Talk about bad writing. As the network seeks to attract Republican viewers amid a change in leadership. And it notes that... Ratings for the network hit a low not seen since the year 2000, two weeks ago. And the person quoted says, the problem is we are not a neutral country. 
The ratings are getting worse because they are taking out all the bells and whistles. CNN ratings are as bad as local news ratings. New management is not freaking out, but everyone else at CNN is, the source also said. They want to fix the shows first, but they don't realize the shows and the ratings are connected. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but... Well, another anonymous source complaining about... Another anonymous source creating a narrative in which they are right and they are the victim, and then they name the people who are the problem, and then the people who are said to be the problem can't respond because they don't want to respond to an anonymous source. Stop using anonymous sourcing so promiscuously, please, please, please. But I will say that every week, and I will keep saying it even though no one will listen. I still found it very amusing. Well, and how about this? When Zucker took over, how long? That was like six. It was, he was there like five or six years. He was there for quite a while, right? Yes. Let's. I want to pull up the exact year. Let's be correct. Jeff Zucker. So the pivot from and on the your 1812 laptop that you're using it's here. It's so bad. That the, this this laptop was on the the Merrimack when it fought it's the like, monitor. Yeah, it's like the first Mac ever produced. So basically, so um, so, so let's see. Hold on. President of CNN. 2013. Okay, so about that Almost time, 10 years. I heard the CNN said the same thing. We're not going to fight over ratings. We're going to make a pivot where we're going to go to, do you remember Blackfish? And do you remember the Anthony Bourdain show? And CNN, and now CNN- they said we're going to do documentaries. Now CNN has, stayed, has found a successful thing, which is nostalgia, uh, and their audience is older, so doing things like- do you remember when we had Woodstock? Oh, I love that. That was great. We smoked reefer in a field. Ah, ha, ha, ha. And the boom, as we've been subjected to. That does sound great. It just sounds great. Oh, the mud. Oh, we loved it. So listening to, so so appealing to Boomer. And now as you are not yet old enough that the, the nostalgia grind is not hitting you the hardest. But as a 46-year-old human, there it's like, hey. Remember cassette tapes and the great music that you liked and going to the mall and parachute pants? And I'm like, I do. I want I want to see it. So <laughs> CNN has, has has Do you remember Zubas? What was the Zuba? Do you does anyone remember Zuba? What's a Zuba? They were these maybe that was only in Minnesota. They were these pants. Oh yeah. That were like animal patterns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I got and I got really you. loose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I got I'm I'm keying in on that. That, Intern Abby is shaking her head, but she wasn't even born when these things were around. But but Zubas, hold on. Yeah, I those are Google. Zubas. Yeah, so yes. it's it's like hammer pants. It's like it's Zubas. like hammer. It's like hammer pants. It's a yes. little more tailored. It's it's a little more straight leg than the hammer. They were pants. like like zebra tiger stripes. This zebra is, or tiger stripes. Now, prior to those, of course, were jams. J a m z. What are those? Which were the wild pattern long shorts that would like had a <laughs> California energy. And I remember as a personal trauma, I wanted to get a pair of jams, but my mother took me to like Little Lord Fauntleroy's, you know, men's shop for shop for proper boys to get my back to school wardrobe. And I was like, please, can I get some jams? And it, and the the sales the salesman was like, well, we do have these, and they were yellow, and they had watermelon slices on them. <laughs> and I was like, that's not right. I don't want to get that. And my mother was like, it's fine. I, you know, whatever. You get them here. These are probably nicer and more expensive than those. And I'm like, you can't make me buy the watermelon ones. And then I wore them one time. And let me tell you, the the punishing 
teasing and abuse that I got from my watermelon knockoff jams where it was very tough. So yeah, the I, watermelons sounds like baby clothing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just all like wrong. Something in, that a baby robber right, all, like this, pattern. So, so, something, something that my mother would be like, oh, that's adorable for you. It's so <laughs> cute. But anyway, CNN promised that it was going to make a, not care about the ratings and then make a pivot to long-form documentaries, Anthony Bourdain, but that Deep, was to get ratings. Well, what they, they were going to—they they weren't going to worry about chasing Fox. They said—they said we're not going to chase Fox and MSNBC anymore. We're going to play the long game and leverage because CNN does have an amazing international and domestic digital footprint, right? They're wet. They're people go to CNN.com. Like basically, you could look at CNN on television as a supporting, playing a supporting role to their website. So anyway, that's a very long way of saying we've heard it before about CNN, right, that we're going to play the long game and we're going to focus on winning, breaking, because the, the recipe for CNN is when there's breaking news, people are going to, people who don't normally watch cable news, going to go to CNN. Who's got the news on? It's got to be CNN. They've damaged that brand over time. Now the question is, will Zaz, as you call him, when you guys are hanging out in Sun I Valley. I wish, man. I would please, please. Did my invitation get lost in the mail? As you're choppering, as you're choppering in, I want to catch him Idaho. To eat some delicious, like expensive steaks with you. Well, you're just trying to get. Ste- I've already Zaz, offered to cook you. steak. Zaz, I've, I've already I, yes. offered to cook steak for you. Why are you going to Zaz for steak? Anyway, the it will depend on their willingness to eat it, right? Because that's a, that's hard to do. When producers like the one that you just quoted from, from Mediaite, are saying inside the organization, so let me get this straight, you're going to let our ratings tank as we turn off the last people who are sticking with us, who are the committed Democrats or anti-Republicans, yeah, who are here for the, here for the real stuff, you're really going to turn those people off and we're going to crater this whole thing. It, it's it's one thing to say it's a different thing to do I hope I hope they're good for it I hope they try because that would be really that would be good or you could just or you could just watch us over at news nation if you're ready to still, go now still waiting don't for wait. the firings Chris I'm still waiting for the for for the talent refresh don't wait come over to news nation now check us out that's right all right tell me about this next item well oh this Holman Jenkins column from over the weekend was in the Wall Street Journal was I thought really good. There's uh, he he uses the as you know, I think that the and we've disagreed on this, but I have tended to think that the amount of garment rending and hollering about the Hunter Biden laptop story in the New York Post is way overstated. Republicans I think have leaned I I that story got a lot more attention for Twitter having banned it than it would have otherwise gotten. And the story definitely did get out. And it's not like people didn't think Hunter Biden was living a dirtbag life. So anyway, Holman Jenkins in his column, I want to get the date right, uh, July 1st column, writes about this and does it does a, a beautiful job. We uh, will link it in the show notes. We will link it in the show notes. But here's the here's the graph that should you should carry with you. And the headline, let's read the headline. Hunter Biden and the press. Who's the real degenerate? <laughs> Excellent use of the word degenerate in a headline. But it's not just the typical like you're dumb, you're you mean liberals. So here's what he here's here's his conclusion. 
But a lot more than objectivity has gone missing in our reporting. Intelligence has gone missing. The people in charge of the nation's newsrooms, I continue to believe, are not as deeply, profoundly stupid as so much of what they put on their homepages, increasingly in positions calculated to attract clicks. Then I realize the Internet waits for no man. Neither does happy hour. Thinking and writing carefully, thinking and writing carefully require time and effort. The press hasn't so much abandoned standards of objectivity. It has abandoned standards of effort under a digital imperative that not only favors low intelligence hot takes, but makes them the calling card of what used to be a news industry. And I just could not agree with that more. It is so true that the competitive pressures created by a online social media fueled newsroom are and this is what my book's about in in a substantial part the evidence is there it's just crushing right it's just damaging to the hope of aspirationally fair thoughtful coverage and if editors want to do as as Zaz would say you have to be willing to have different standards than clickability you have to you have to play a longer game for rewarding readers with gems and things that might not be the top clicker, but that they're going to find interesting and really going deep and going high quality. It's the only way to do it. And the Wall Street Journal, I think, substantially does that. I think the New York Times substantially does that. But the list gets pretty short after that. Uh, I really like this piece, and I think he makes a lot of good points about the Hunter Biden laptop. I also think you're right. Like The story of the Hunter Biden laptop was its was it's being banned and suppressed and it also was like the nation's intelligence officials coming out and saying this is russian disinformation and it was the frantic efforts to suppress the story rather than just to let it breathe and it would have been way less of a story had there not been such a frantic and sustained effort to tell us that it wasn't a story and i can understand some of it certainly i was i i did not support at the time when it came out that day, but as you and I have talked about, and I think the Washington Post did a really good job on, note for my file, note for my permanent record, another round of praising the Washington Post. But the after after condemning Perry Bacon to the, the fiery furnaces, but the the Washington Post called itself out. We should have we should have reported this out, right? So I I definitely think all of that, but I uh, the stupidity, I guess, and Jenkins' point here. Joe Biden knew it wasn't Russian disinformation because he knew his son, right? Uh, he and, kn- he and, knew Hunter Biden, and he was like, "I'm." Sh- and as Jenkins points out, Biden's response when this broke was like, "Oh, great, my son, my son, who is a drug addict, and like my heart breaks for the Biden family, and they lost a son, and their other son's an addict, and I feel terrible, terrible, terrible about all of that." But Joe Biden was not like, "I wonder if this stuff about." Uh, Russian prostitutes and my yeah, son he went out and said it and then he saw and then he cited the intelligence officials who he know were knew right. were saying things that were wrong in debates and he tried to mislead the American people but to, to the point you read where you said the press hasn't so much abandoned standards of objectivity is it has abandoned standards of effort under a digital imperative that not only favors low intelligence hot takes but makes them the calling card of what used to be a news industry I actually I think it's both they've both abandoned standards of objectivity and standards of effort to write well and to 
offer something more than hot takes. So I don't really think it's either or, but but I think it's both. I, I think the two the two trends work cooperatively, but it's also true how, and this I guess to go back to the beginning, herd mentality outrun political bias even, right? Like as we're watching Joe Biden where the, the herd mentality will, will and, and the, the race for those clicks will do another thing. Before we conclude the front page, I just have one more. I don't know why I'm so crabby today. I feel good. I'm really happy are. to be with my friends. You really are. But my, I want to just point out this Politico headline and lead. Gun Safety Group announces $10 million for battleground state races. Here's the lead. A prominent gun safety advocacy group is ready to spend big to boost Democrats who last month supported Congress's most significant gun policy package in nearly 30 years and attack Republicans who opposed it. Well, I'm sorry. What is a gun safety advocacy group? What did what did, are they in favor of firearms training? Do they run gun ranges where people can go learn how to shoot safely? Do they? Oh, no, wait, that's the NRA. The. In the, in the Orwellian struggle over the language. And we talked, I think, last week or the week before about how the conversation around abortion has spawned all of this new, all these neologisms and all of this double doublespeak. But why do we have to call it a gun safety advocacy group when it is a gun <laughs> control an group? Gun yeah, group. it's anti-gun. I mean, I don't even. It doesn't Sorry. even have to be anti-gun. Oh, it, that was a new one, Chris. I just kicked you, you kick, in the knee, and and uh, and not on purpose. Uh, it's other times it's probably on purpose, but a gun safety group is not a gun control group. I don't even need it to be anti-gun. I just want them to say what they want to do, which is they want to place limits on gun ownership, which may be right or may be wrong, but. It, when you get to the point where you use a phrase like gun safety advocacy, that is so much malarkey, it distracts from the point of the article. Just say it's a gun control group and get on with it, people. <laughs> like, stop it. Chris, it is that time for our Obsessions of the Week. Where we break down the stories that we cannot get out of our heads. Shall I lead? Lead. Okay. My obsession was when the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, there was all this coverage of, like, you know, all the horrors that are going to result. And I think I found the apex of this coverage, which was a July 5th New York Times article with the headline, Infertility Patients and Doctors Fear Abortion Bans Could Restrict IVF. So I see this and I click in and I'm like, so how is a abortion ban going to affect the people who want to have their baby? Well, and but the, but the thing here, and so just so that I, I have not read the piece. Well, Go I'm going to read from oh, it. T- do tell. So the piece tries to say that an abortion ban, abortion bans could affect frozen embryos, could prevent you from destroying frozen embryos. Now, let me read from piece that that is the premise that like people are very worried that it's going to affect IVF because in IVF you freeze embryos here are quotes from the piece so far the texts of the laws taking effect do not explicitly target embryos created in a lab and in interviews leading anti-abortion groups said that embryos created through assisted reproductive technology were not currently a priority 
Representatives from four nationwide groups that oppose abortion said in interviews that they firmly believe all em- embryos to be human beings, but that regulating IVF embryos within abortion bans was not their first order of business. Okay, so basically everyone quoted in this article is like, nope, not happening. Nope, we're not interested. Nope, we're not doing this. And then we get to it. But legal experts warn that as some states draft legislation, the status of these embryos, as well as patients and providers, could become vulnerable, especially if an impassioned prosecutor decides to test the new terrain. So finally, they find a group. It's like Students for Life or something. It's a college group of students that's like, yes, we actually should go after these, you know, embryos in the lab. It is like total and complete scaremongering of something that will never happen because as, and then there's actually a quote from a pro-life group in here that says, no, we're not interested in doing this. Okay. By using the word pregnancy, most trigger bans distinguish their target from an embryo stored in a clinic. The ban in Utah, for example, frames abortion in the context of a quote, human pregnancy after implantation of a fertilized ovum ovum, which would exclude state jurisdiction over stored embryos. And the National Right to Life Committee holds out as a model for state affiliates and lawmakers. It refers to, quote, all stages of the unborn child's development within a pregnant woman's uterus from fertilization Mm -hmm. until birth. Okay, so this entire article is about something that is not happening and will not happen. And they start with an anecdotal lead about a mother of four in Salt Lake City is reasonably certain that so it starts with the the fears that this woman has about what what may happen in the future and and personifies it this story it's the story should be but the fears are entirely unfounded or for this that or the other or or this dobbs decision creates a complex new questions for ivf not infertility patients and doctors fear but instead because the story here is actually much deeper and more interesting. How does the right to life approach this? How do conservatives treat this? This is all, it's like, it's all interesting. It's an all an interesting conversation, but by, as you say, scaremongering and stepping on the gas, like the fear is real. When in fact, the, the reasonable conclusion from what is within the story is, and I don't blame the reporter for the story. The reporter is Jan Hoffman, or I don't blame the reporter for the headline, but by ratcheting up this scaremongering, this is to return to another theme from today's show, which is, why do they fear it? Oh, because of me. I'm doing it right now. I'm I'm publishing the piece that makes them fear it, and I'm talking about it. And then I say, are you afraid of this thing? And they're like, I guess I maybe I should be. I don't know. I guess I I I guess I better I guess I better be afraid. So I think that there's a, it's an interesting story that got to Holman Jenkins' point got run through the the turbo blender of clickbait velocity. You're up. Okay. I really love this one. <laughs> I, ha- I I love I love and hate this one. Let's start with the clip. This is a report from CBS 46 in the ATL in Atlanta, Georgia. And this is, they have a like a on your side kind of guy that goes out to, you know, some people, different stations have branded, you know, investigative teams, I teams or whatever, but this looks like the on their side and they have a restaurant report card report and they go to a Denny's in what looks like near suburban Atlanta. So let's take a listen. And by the way, their headline on this Denny's employee attack CBS 46 news crew. So let's take a listen to what transpired here. 
New tonight, a CBS 46 exclusive. Our news crew attacked at a popular diner in Metro Atlanta. Our Adam Murphy showing up at this restaurant to ask about a failing health score, but instead of simply being turned away, things get violent. You don't have to put the camera on nobody. Y'all can get out of here with that. Y'all can go ahead. So we're not going to discuss it. You're not supposed to be in the building. So what? Whoa, 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 whoa. Get your hands off me. Get your hands off me. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey. Hey, Hey, hey. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. Hey, all right, so the reporter here, the, the who spent a decade confronting people about expired <laughs> deli meats, uh, I, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on his name right now, but in what world do you believe that you can, with a news crew, walk into a restaurant that, by the way, is a chain restaurant? What would have happened to that manager if she had said, oh, shoot, I didn't know you were from CBS 48. Shoot. Come right in. Take the cameras into the kitchen. Do whatever you want. I guess because you are wearing a necktie without a jacket and have arrived here with a camera crew, I should I should let you walk in here and film inside. Obviously, she cannot do that. The reality of this is this news crew is totally in the wrong. They have no right to walk in there recording and, and start putting people on camera. That is Denny's property. And Denny's can say to this news crew, absolutely not. You absolutely cannot film here. Get off of our property. And this kind of garbage, here's, here's how local TV news works. You've got sweeps months, February and November. Then there's another July sweeps. I don't know how new or old this is, but the there is a July sweeps month and the idea is you have to find a target for outrage, but it can't be a real target, right? You can't talk about the local hospital that's the huge employer. You can't talk about them because they're a huge employer and they have friends and they have lawyers. They have people who can fight back against you. You can't, you can't talk about the car dealers, right? You definitely don't want to talk about them. So all of these things where real power exists and inside governmental entities where real power exists, you can't go attack the power. But what you can do is for an African-American woman trying to manage a Denny's in Livonia, Georgia, you can go shove a camera in her face and talk to her like a criminal because there was deli meat in the, there was expired deli meat in the cooler. And this is how local TV fails. This is hot garbage and like, stop doing that, please. Okay, it is time for Reader Mail. Oh, yeah. And that means the entrance of a third Chris onto the scene. In addition to Steyerwald and Licht. Yes. Okay. And that would be Chris Moore from Oklahoma, who writes, pretty please dive into the tweet this week from Politico's Alex Thompson, friend of the show, suggesting that the White House give, gave him the runaround so they could give the story about White House Communications Director Kate Bedingfield leaving the White House to the Wall Street Journal. I was surprised that so many White House reporters retweeted and piled on saying that this happens all the time. Is this something that is unique to the current administration or is it a somewhat common practice? Seems very unprofessional. Or uh, is all fair? Dot, 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 question mark. I thought it was a great question, but let's let's back up and recount what happened to our pal Alex Thompson, who writes the Politico West Wing newsletter. My old 
computer is taking like 10,000 years to load <laughs> this tweet, which I did have pulled up. Okay, so Alex had the story that communications director Kate Bedingfield was leaving the White House. So he tweets. Where is she going? I don't know. Yeah, it just says she's leaving. It's not, um, not, not she's clear. She's set to leave in a matter of weeks. She's begun informing colleagues of her departure. Comes on the heels of Jen Psaki's decision to step down. I don't see, I don't see it named. Okay, so Alex tweets and now that she's departing and has told people she is leaving, and then he follows up and says, "I called the White House at two fifty. He tweets at three nineteen p.m. on July sixth, Wednesday." I called the White House at 2.53 to ask for comment and told them we were running it. They asked for more time to check with folks. I gave it to them. The Wall Street Journal published at 3.11 with a statement from Klain. Klain being Ron Klain. Uh-huh. And then, and then he posts a Politico story and says, update, the White House has now sent me the statement from Ron Klain. And that was uh, at 5.07 p.m. So it would seem that the White House was trying to manage who got the story of Kate Bedingfield's departure and choosing which reporter was going to write the first story. And it, and it may be that. It may also be this, that the Wall Street Journal had it and the, and the White House said, we really want to wait until we can get a statement from Ron or will you give us a little time? And that the White House did not want to blow the Wall Street Journal. Like I'll put it this way: it would if the Wall Street Journal had the scoop, had gotten it on its own, or had gotten it from Bettingfield, or had found out about it through the rumor mill or whatever, but knew that it was going to happen. And it wouldn't have been appropriate then for the White House to say to Alex Thompson, "Yeah, this uh, actually the Wall Street Journal's already got it. <laughs> They've already got it. So let's blow the journal scoop." You know what I mean? When the journal came to the White House with the, can you confirm this? It wouldn't have been appropriate for them to not have responded to the journal, but have responded to Politico. You know what I mean? I will say that my reading of the situation is that the, that it is not professional to say, can you give me more time? Correct. It would be professional to say, no comment. Correct. That is it. Correct. It is not professional to pretend you are running something down while providing an on-record statement to a competitor. It is. And helping a competitor advance a story while, like, feigning helping you get the story. It is also so possible. And yet- no comment would be the, like, the professional response. You are right, but it is also possible given the tightness of the time that the Wall Street Journal reporter had already gotten Ron that it is possible the person who was talking to Alex Thompson did not know the state of play on the Wall Street Journal story. That is also possible. Incompetence is always possible. It's certainly so it, it's not professional uh whether it's not professional because of I won't say malice but because of, you know, being crummy. It would be crummy to know and then say, oh, please wait. We're trying. I'm checking that out. And then like, psych, uh, you're burnt. Uh, That's that's crummy. Um, But it's also possible that it's unprofessional because it's incompetent. The people didn't know who had what at what point. And if I guess these kinds of stories 
and the desire. So for a reporter, and you know this having been a White House reporter, that date stamp is valuable professionally, right? Your ability to say to your editors when it's time for a raise and time for a promotion, I broke this story, I broke this story, I broke this story. That's a metric that you can use, and the date stamps, the time stamp matters. I had it first, and so they they took a thing of value away from Alex Thompson, and that's not fair. I'm with you. Oh, and also on this, we should point out, sometimes it's like a, I would liken it to a, and you've been, I'm sure, on both ends of this. It's like, you know why you don't want a public defender? One of the reasons not to have a public defender or a bad defense lawyer in criminal court, I observed in in a long time covering criminal courts. If you're a small fish, they'll trade you away to help a better client, right? That when you'll say like, okay, I need a good deal on this guy. But I'll roll, I'll roll over for these guys. We'll let you have the small fish. We don't care. You can put them in jail for the, the guy who could, be, in order to get the guy who's facing 10 years down to five, they may happily roll over on you for your one year that is going to be a year, right? Instead of trying to get you six months. The cases don't happen individually. The stories don't happen individually. So, for example, here's another hypothetical. The Wall Street Journal has a story that the, that the administration doesn't like right? So they have, a, they have a story that's negative for the administration. And somebody says, hey, bud, how'd you like to, how'd you like to have this? How'd you, if, you, if you change the angle on your story or if you, you know, if you trying to manipulate the, the Wall Street Journal reporter here by saying, but we, we can give you this and giving, when you give favorable, and I'm sure that many times you were offered uh, enticements to like, oh, Eliana, that's a fascinating question. But aren't you interested in knowing this piece of you know, commodity news? That has not happened to me very often. Were I on the other side of this, I would completely do that to people. Sure, it has not happened to me very often. I've many on many occasions in my career have I had the opportunity where I'm like, hey, just calling about this or emailing you about this annoying thing that you don't want to talk about, and they're like, uh, and you, and then some. Uh, some smart press secretary or some smart comms person is like, hey, but what about this favorable story for us that we'll let you be firsty first on? And then you have, and this is perfectly ethical, or at least in my point of view, perfectly ethical for the reporter to weigh the value of those two stories against each other and say, okay, I will not, because all all reporting, every story that is written or recorded is – the result of a choice, right? We can't write every story. So these are subjective choices inherently. And I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, well, if you, and I don't think the departure of the press secretary exactly qualifies, but I'm just saying that sort of horse trading could be part of this too. Chris, we have come to your favorite time of the week. When I am forced to say something nice in our favorite items, but you lead by example. Lead me. Though lately, I don't know. We may have reversed. You've been you've been so nice lately, and I've been so splenetic. I, have I don't a good know. One this week too. But I really love mine. Eliana, you lived in New York. Are you familiar with uh, New York One NY One? Yep. So uh, NY One is the cable. It's like if you live in New York City, it's the local. In Washington D.C., has News Channel Eight. 
but in New York, it's NY1, and it only covers New York, and it's just a cable channel that run, it's, it has a cable access energy to it that is pretty delightful. And so NY1 used the following. So the Chiron, the lower third, the graphic at the bottom of the screen, as they cut to, as they showed coverage of Boris Johnson's resignation as Britain's prime minister. And here's their lower third. New Yorker stepping down as UK PM. Now, that is local coverage. Boris Johnson was technically born in New that's, York. That's amazing. And they're like, New York one's like, we got to keep it local. What's our angle? New Yorker stepping down as UK PM is 10,000 chef's kisses to you, New York one. My favorite item of the week is Maureen Dowd's interview out today. That's Thursday with the New Yorker's Ken Aletta who has a new biography of Harvey Weinstein out next week. I, I really want to read this. And we will link the in, that interview in the show notes. But it is a fascinating interview. And the sub-headline is, The New Yorker writer talks about his new Weinstein biog- biography and the worst person he ever covered, period. It's someone else. <laughs> so click, click, click. And oh shoot, my computer is uh, not letting me click back. Okay, I, so so this is the part that I pulled, but read the whole thing. So Maureen Dowd writes. So I asked him, who was the creepiest person you ever interviewed? Roy Cohn shot back Mr. Aletta, who did the landmark profile of the Trump mentor in Esquire in 1978. He was the worst human being I've ever met. No one even close. Harvey's angelic compared to Cone. Cone. <laughs> so we go to 21 Club for lunch where he had his own table and he's sitting there and he doesn't order. He had these lizard-like fingers and I had french fries and a hamburger and the long fingers would literally snatch fries <laughs> off my plate. He disclosed all these confidential things about his clients. It was so appalling, truly disgusting. Fantastic. Great interview. Fantastic. You can just picture, if you if you don't know who he is, Look up anything about Roy Cohn, truly one of the most detestable humans to ever be part of American public life. And when you think about his li- the, 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 the word picture that Aletta is, is painting here about lizard-like fingers gambling across the tablecloth at the 21 Club to snatch crispy french fries off your plate makes one's skin crawl. Well said. That is all the time we have left for the news about the news. If you have a story you want us to talk about, email us at wretches at nebulouspodcasts.com. That's podcast with an S. Wretches at nebulouspodcast.com. Do it. This has been Ink Stained Wretches from Nebulous Media. Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Wretches. Wretches.